Welcome to the latest episode of Be Atento. I am Jesse Ulrich, CEO of Brand Am Productions and editor of this podcast. The Be Atento podcast offers helpful tips and stories from some of today's most successful entrepreneurs and investors. And it's brought to you by Atento Capital, a Telso-based venture fund focused on driving returns through early-stage venture investment in local economic development and job creation. Atento stands for helpful, careful, thoughtful, conscientious, and polite as Atento Capital seeks to embody these characteristics to all of its stakeholders. In today's episode, Sean and Aaron speak with Kiori Taylor, the director of the new Entrepreneurial Development and Education Division at TEDC Creative Capital. Welcome to another edition of the Be Atento podcast. We have a wonderful show today with an amazing young lady who's done amazing work in this community here in Tulsa, also in Boston and around the country. She's a published author. She's done all types of amazing things in entrepreneurship. And so we're really excited to have her here as our guest this evening, a part of the Be Atento podcast. We bring none other than the extraordinary, the amazing, the incomparable, the immeasurable, Kiori Taylor. She is the Director of Entrepreneurial Development and Education at the Tulsa Economic Development Corporation here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We welcome Kiore Taylor. Kiore, tell us a little bit about your story and what brought you to the TEDC. I am Kiore Taylor. I am the daughter of two phenomenal parents and the oldest sibling of four and they are all of my life. My family is my everything. I always like to start with what am I passionate about? Karaoke and red wine. (laughs) 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 Those are the things I'm passionate about just to get that out of the way and I enjoy, (laughs) very much enjoy free lunch. But beyond that, I'll go ahead and just give you guys a short version. I am a mechanical engineer by background. I started off in the oil and gas industry, did a little bit of time working in manufacturing. And so having worked in those spaces, I had lived in Houston. I lived in New Orleans. I've lived in Kentucky. I had a little bit of time that I spent in Alabama. And so all of that was really exciting. Whenever I graduated college, though, the oil and gas industry was down and I had to make a pivot. When I made that pivot, I tried to decide, was I going to go into the computer engineering route Or was I going to go into more of the people and operations side? And I decided to go people and operations. That's something that I've always been extremely passionate about. I love telling stories. I love hosting. I love making sure people are safe. I love all of those things. And so that actually led to my transition into management consultant. I spent some time in um, Boston working at Accenture. And while I was there, I actually helped to be a part of the Innovation Hub and stand up the Innovation Hub. It was a very new program and a pilot at the time. And I was helping to coach C-suite executives and uh, senior leadership at Fortune 500 companies about how to pivot into the new how to lean into change, how to do digital transformations, all of the things around technology that we all want to be a part of, but no one necessarily knows how. An example, just to put it where folks can reach it, is a lot of people wanted to know 
how do we use AI? All of the contracts that you all are using are still being manually written. So the first thing you have to do <laughs> is put your contracts online. Then we have to put everything on the cloud. And after we put everything on the cloud, then we can train artificial intelligence to support. And Take it off the floppy disk. Take it off the floppy disk. <laughs> and you would think that'd be a no-brainer, but you'd actually have to socialize so many people in leadership to, to decide, yeah, 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 this makes sense. Let's do it. Yeah. Now, how, then, how old were you at that time? This is. Oh, man. I was. Oh, you don't have to give your age. How about what, what time period was that if you don't want to give your age? I was going to say, do y'all really want to know my age? Here? I want to know. It's, <laughs> it's impressive. I was young. I was very recently out of college when this happened. And wow. it was actually extremely extraordinary for me to be on this team. Absolutely. It yeah. was the first time that they had ever brought in an entry level person to be on this team. Wow. But I was actually able to shine. And I learned a lot about design thinking. I learned a lot about project management. I learned a lot about strategic planning. Planning. And so, again, that was right out of college, spending two years doing that. What was really fascinating about this is that when you're working in management consulting, you're able to work on projects three months at a time. And whenever you have multiple clients that you're working with, that allows you to see lots of different industries. So I think by the time I decided to pivot out of that role and that job, I had worked with over 20 different clients that had ranged across seven different industries. So that was really exciting and has given me a very comprehensive view of what type of problems exist for business in general. Something that's really exciting to me, though, is recognizing after working with all of those companies is that a lot of people are struggling with the same thing. It's either they're trying to figure out how to solve their problem or they know they have a problem but don't know where their problem exists. And so while that seems so simple, what I ended up finding and what I learned at the very core is that every company is actually trying to solve for the same thing. And so what I find now is what my superpower is actually solving problems at companies that have to do with operations because it's really fundamentally a lot of the same questions that are being asked. So I was at Accenture for a while, and then while that was really fun, it became really challenging for me because it's such a large organization with over 475,000 employees where there's so much structure. And so your ability to grow within that organization is limited. Oh, after two years, that's when you get promoted. And then three years after that, you get promoted again. And having so much responsibility, so much exposure, so much like influence over the problems being solved, but not really being able to own your career, it's okay, what's next? So me and one of my coworkers actually decided to start a business on the side, and that was actually a cleaning service. And at the time, we decided that we were going to do this in our free time. We were able to get employees to work for us. We were operation in five different cities, and we were like, okay, this is going really well. But being in Boston at the time, which is top five capitals of startup and innovation, we were like, how do we really innovate this industry? And so what we had decided was, okay, a lot of people are doing funky stuff around here, but we actually have a cleaning service right now. So how do you innovate something that's so traditional? We saw that people were making a lot of money by offering dog walking as a fringe benefit. <laughs> we decided, you know what? 
we're going to do the same thing with cleaning service. So having done that with cleaning service, we went to lots of pitch competitions, did lots of networking, tried to figure out how to really, really blow up and scale this idea. And we got a lot of great feedback, but we knew we needed to invest more time. So having decided that we needed to invest more time, we decided we were going to do the thing that we never thought we would do. And we actually left our jobs at Accenture. We moved to Dallas. We moved to Dallas thinking we were about to do entrepreneurship full time. And there was one flaw in our logic. We did not consider that the market for home cleaning as a fringe benefit did not exist in Dallas the same way that it did in Boston. So back to the drawing board. There, me and my co-founder had a difference of opinion about how we wanted to move forward. And so I actually exited the company at that time. And I did go back to the drawing board. I spent a little bit of time here in Tulsa, and I was trying to figure out what was going to be new. And having left Tulsa over a decade ago, almost, I was very fascinated with all of the change and development that had been happening in the city. And I had decided that my curiosity was piqued. And I was trying to stick around and figure out why are people saying that they love the live music scene here? Why do people say there's a lot of good food places? Like, where is that? And so I just found that every weekend I was experiencing more and more of this city that I grew up in that I actually didn't know. And from there, I decided, okay, maybe I'll stick around for a little bit. And I started looking for jobs. And as I was looking for jobs, I remember interviewing with a few folks. And finally, my old boss I met, I believe he interviewed here already, Michael Bosch. I remember meeting him and he was from California and had lived all over. And during our interview, he was just like talking a lot and he had a different kind of swag about him. And he was so fun and he was so exciting and had high energy. And I was just, I'm not sure what's happening here, but if he can love it here, I'm sure that there's something that I'm missing out on. And so like, how do I become a part of that? Let's just fast forward and say I was able to become a part of that and lead strategy and operations at a venture capital firm here in town, Atento, which you guys all know. (laughs) And that was exciting. But it was my first time in venture capital. Having been in venture capital and knowing that so much of what we were focused on was democratizing access to capital, that really lended its way well into economic development. And I actually found that I very much love and enjoy solving complex problems that create tangible impact in people's lives. That for me is just like paradise. (laughs) And being able to do that at Atento was really exciting. And so one of the things that I would say is something that's hard for people to believe is that I've worked in all these places that are focused on finances and I have no background in finance. I don't know the first thing about like people actually qualifying for funding. I just know how to tee people up for it. So having had some success there and really creating dominating space in town and being able to meet lots of people and really demonstrate through good performance that I was here to be a community ally, I actually was approached to help out by creating a new division at the TEDC, which is the Tulsa Economic Development Corporation. Now we actually go by TEDC Creative Capital. And so I'm pivoting from venture capital into creative capital. And basically... What that means is we're providing creative solutions for funding for people who wouldn't receive it traditionally from the bank because of credit or just not fitting those typical profiles that people feel that they must do it, which tends to be a barrier to entry for many entrepreneurs. And so that's exciting to me. I also think 
a big portion of why I'm enjoying this new division that I'm going into is it lends itself really well into economic development. It's even in the name. And so that means that I get to really focus on helping to elevate minority entrepreneurs. I get to help target gaps that many people have overlooked historically or even problems that people wanted to solve. But being a part of very historic traditional institutions, you just really don't have the agency to make certain decisions. And so now that I'm here and I have the agency to make certain (laughs) decisions and I have the background of solving complex problems and I have the exposure of having lived in larger cities and bringing that back to a smaller town, I really feel like I've found a role that I can really grow in and I'm excited about it. it. It really is amazing to see, and I know I keep saying amazing, but it really is amazing to see what really can be done in a short amount of time. You're talking about a very short amount of time in Boston, working with CEOs and executive leadership of Fortune 500 companies to down in Dallas, doing all the things down there with your own business to back in Tulsa, starting up a VC fund to now with the TEDC, all in the manner of what four years, (laughs) three or four years or so. That's pretty impressive. And so do you ever take the time, stop and smell the roses? Do you ever take any reflective moments to realize what you've done and have been able to accomplish? Have you, have you ever like really taken it in and enjoyed it for a moment and then gotten a, a recharge to go and do some more? What I would say that taking it all in looks like, firstly, it looks like going on vacation. (laughs) It looks like going on vacation and being able to afford doing the things that you want to do. Red wine and karaoke. (laughs) On the beach. On the beach, beach. yes. Yes. Red wine and karaoke on the beach. And that's just really exciting because I remember there was a time in my life where we would have to drive in the car full of my family. We get to stay in a hotel and we would just see things that we wanted to do. And now I'm at the place where I get to enjoy the things that I see and that I've dreamed of. And I think that's really how I'm able to recognize like, man, I've hit a place in life that I didn't expect when I was younger. The other thing that I do to really take it all in is I try to give back and create space for other people to join me in my journey. And sometimes that looks like referring people for jobs. Sometimes that looks like I'm advocating for people to join this ecosystem that I'm working in. Sometimes it looks like just me being a champion in different ways. And the way the reason that is me like taking it all in is just being like, hey, I remember there was a time I was trying to get a job and now I can help other people. And then I can root for them. And I can see them win and think, man, if I wouldn't have, if I wouldn't have worked hard to get here, then what would have happened for those people? And I will never take credit for the work that other folks are doing, but it feels really good to just stop and recognize that other people are really being able to shine because I was able to be a part of that. Switching gears for just a second. Part of your job has to do with education. Yes. And and educating entrepreneurs. Yes. Can you tell us more about that? Educating entrepreneurs. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. When talking about education for entrepreneurs, a lot of times people think you have an idea and your idea makes money. And 
That's a short answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beginning and the end. But a lot of times people need funding. And if you need funding, then you have to qualify for that funding. And so many times people are qualifying for funding and a lot of folks aren't getting it. And then you are in your community and everyone is saying that they're not getting it. And I have seen very often that sometimes it feels like a discrimination issue. One of the biggest things that I've learned recently is, sure, there are some things that are a part of the financial system that are no barriers to entry, but a lot of it is open for people to understand. There's this thing that I just recently learned called um, quality of earnings. And basically, if I could just really minimize this down to its core, it says that the way that you make money basically comes with a different rank. So... Folks who make money from a job have a good quality of earning. Folks who are making money on the Internet have a bad quality of earning. No matter how consistent their income is, it's just not reliable in the bank's eyes. So you could be a YouTube influencer making more than $200,000 a year, and there can be somebody else who makes $40,000, who's been doing it consistently for the last 10 years, and they will get a loan over the person who is getting money online because they have a bad quality of earning. Wow. And it's, wait, what? (laughs) So, you're like, oh, like, I didn't know that was a thing. How does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. But most people don't know that's a thing. So when they go to qualify for funding, it's just, man, they didn't like me because of all these external reasons when it's like, Who cares about like people's personal bias toward who should get funding or not? If you can help people understand like what's the real criteria, then people have a target that's not moving and they can work toward that. So my goal is to come in and my job is to come in and figure out what does it take to actually qualify people for funding and then educate people on what they can do in their unique situation to be able to cross that hurdle. Also, you have people who are not necessarily looking for funding, but they're looking to scale their business. And they don't know the first thing about marketing because, like I said, with these Fortune 500 companies who have the agency and the money and the resources to be able to hire marketing teams, these smaller folks, they really just don't understand the benefit of investing in technology, of investing into marketing that's on social media, especially if they don't have social media. And so it's, okay, how do we draw this back and say, by investing this much into marketing, this could be your conversion rate, which will then impact your sales. And now you're actually making more money because you spent some more time doing this. And then another part of what we do with education is just making sure that we're educating folks across the board. Um, Because some folks have an idea and they're out here making money as a side hustle, but don't know how to go onto the secretary of state and register the business. Or people have registered their business and haven't paid taxes in five years. And then what we saw whenever the PPP loan came out and the EIDL loan came out, no one had the taxes for the last two years and they have been operating for five to 10 years. And then again, it feels like it's a discrimination issue, but really it's an education issue. And so it's just, ah, how do you help these folks? And you do it one step at a time by understanding what does it take to qualify, making that information accessible and then creating structure and programming around it so that people can reach it. What is the role or what role or roles 
does the TDC play in this Tulsa ecosystem? I, I, when I came here, I, every conversation I had involved something TEDC. And so clearly it's a vital player in this ecosystem. What would you say the role is and in, in how, how far would you say the reach is uh, in terms of the TEDC? The role of the TEDC, I want to say, is Switzerland. It's just like this island that doesn't have any allegiance to any particular institution that provides funding, any any sort of governing body. And the way that Tulsa exists are you have lots of different bodies that are working for different piles of funding, and TDC exists outside of that. They can tap into those buckets, but they're not committed to those buckets. And so that's one role that the TDC plays within this ecosystem. I would say the other thing that the eco that the TDC does is they're providing information that's relevant across a broad range of entrepreneurs. When you think about venture capital, it's for tech for the most part. When you think about bank, you know, they want to see history. When you think about like angel investors, a lot of times, like they want to know, like other people are interested in this idea as well. And so when you come to the TDC, especially understanding that we don't follow traditional standards, it's about the character of a person and it's about like their goal and how well they've thought out their ideas. I would say that the TDC plays a big role in just like boosting folks' confidence and letting them know like they have a good thing to get started. And then also, I think their ability to create programming for anyone who's looking to be a business owner, I think is something that's really impactful too, because we're really kind of a one-stop shop for people who are looking for resources and they can receive some sort of support for us, but then we also redirect them to whoever can add to the support that we can start with. So like when an entrepreneur here locally comes to you and let's say they have an idea, are you helping them flesh out that idea a little bit? Hey, we think this is a pretty good idea. Let's see if you can can get you qualified for financing or like, what's the process like for a founder to come to the TEDC and, and get some help and then hopefully qualify for financing? Yeah. So we have lots of different programs available and we are adding more and more programs uh, as we go. But currently something that's exciting is we have a partnership with Sky's the Limit. Yes, just for you guys. We have a partnership with Sky's the Limit and they have an online platform and curriculum for entrepreneurs, no matter where they are in the process. And so that is something that's available to everyone. And we are really pivoting to make sure that anyone who's not a current borrower is going onto that platform so that they can receive the ongoing support that program offers at all times, even if the TEDC isn't available during regular business hours. That is a really huge win for us. We also have Small Business University. And Small Business University is good because companies who want to invest in entrepreneurship can actually sponsor grants that we can give to entrepreneurs. And people who go through Small Business University actually get help on their business plan. They get help on their marketing strategy. They get one-on-one coaching from the instructor instructor to make sure that their business idea is fully fleshed out. And so that's a six-week program that is three hours a night, 
one night a week. And when you go from start to finish, you should be able to present a business plan and even have a five-year forecasted budget that will allow you to go to the TEDC and actually qualify for funding. Yes, we have the we have self-employment workshops that we do. We just signed a deal with Mortar, who's based out of Cincinnati. Yes, yeah. yeah, so we're super excited. They're coming to town. And one thing what we like about them is that their curriculum is actually targeted toward African-American entrepreneurs. And they are working to target a wide range of entrepreneurs as well. And then they're interested in brick and mortar businesses. And we're continuing to add to our programming. But right now, anyone who wants to get involved or get started or even just review the business plan right now, folks who are interested in like getting PPP funding, for example, even though that doesn't come from the TDC, we're still reviewing folks' application and giving them advice on how to qualify whenever they go to a bank. And so we're just providing holistic support. Follow up question to that. So you have all these resources and everything. How are you keeping entrepreneurs motivated to actually pursue some of these resources and actually like stick with it and do the full six weeks. One thing I would say is pretty cool is a lot of the folks who come to us who are interested in entrepreneurship, they've already taken the leap to be full-time entrepreneurs. So they need money yesterday. So we don't actually have to incentivize them to be a part. (laughs) Oh, this is the barrier to get funding. Okay. Sign me up. How do I sign up? What? There's not another class for a whole two months. (laughs) What am I going to do till then? (laughs) So yes, I would say that there's just an appetite to be a part of what we have, but then we are also a close partner in the Tulsa community. So we're able to redirect and funnel people through wraparound programming that's happening citywide so that people, can be satiated in the meantime. So obviously everything going on in the news right now, you're seeing folks leaving cities like San Francisco and New York. And so my question to you is how, and we asked the same question to Mike, and I think we asked it to Cecilia as well. Like how can Tulsa sort of position itself to sort of attract some of this talent to Tulsa and especially some of these people leaving the cities that might be minority entrepreneurs? It's really hard to justify minority talent coming to Tulsa. And the reason I will say that is because while there's a lot of opportunity here, while there is a lot of ability to create impact here, the access to these opportunities is really limited. You have to rub shoulders with lots of folks. You have to know someone who knows someone who can make a decision. And it's really hard to it's really hard for someone to come to town and just get started making an impact right then. Unless they're coming through the Tulsa Remote Program. If you're not coming through the Tulsa Remote Program, a lot of folks who move to Tulsa do not find their rhythm for five or six months. And it's not because they can't. It's just because You have this culture here where everything is siloed and everything is based off of referral and everything is based off of relationship. And that just, one, it's an access issue and it's an equity issue. And so it's actually really hard to capitalize on the talent that's coming. But I think that we are working on it. And I think that's really good. I haven't stated 
all of those things, one thing I think that Tulsa can do to really capitalize on the talent that's trying to come here is figure out a way to create more access. One conversation I was having with someone earlier today is we don't have a culture of posting jobs. Like when you think about Indeed, (laughs) you think about all these places where people go to find jobs, good jobs that represent them well, jobs that people from San Francisco and New York and all those folks want. You have to come to Tulsa, meet someone who knows someone who will introduce. You have to be on the ground to find a job that you want to say yes to. Job posting is going to be really huge. And then it's also... Community, how not just community of getting to know one another, but like actually having spaces where people that cross, you know, cultural lines all enjoy going to. Right now, everything is just like really catered to the native Tolson, <laughs> but not necessarily to transplants who come to town. It's funny that you bring up the aspect of community, because when we asked Cecilia the same question, she said the same thing. Like you, you have there just needs to be community here. Yeah. Yeah. And not just like one community where if you're a part of that community, then like you're in the in crowd. And if you're not in that community, then you're not like we need to have pockets of thriving communities where people can come to town and find their people. Right now, there's like you're in or you're out. And that can feel like, oh, that's good because everyone gets to be a part. And it's actually more equitable that way because everyone can see what's going on. But that doesn't create a sense of belonging. And so in order for Tulsa to really attract some of this talent, and I think, to be fair, I think Tulsa does a great job of attracting talent. Absolutely. (laughs) What it doesn't do a great job of is retaining talent. And everyone who comes here has ideas. And that's the other thing that I think makes it hard for people to stay in town is that there's a lot of barriers to be able to produce their ideas whenever they're not attached to something that's already existing in town. And if Tulsa could figure out a way to solve for solve for the things that I've mentioned, I think that would really go a long way in helping people not just be attracted to Tulsa, but remain in Tulsa. There is a level of an overhaul or, or, or an advancement that needs to happen in the Tulsa ecosystem to be prepared for this exodus from these coastal cities into this region because it's it feels like it's a chicken and an egg situation but i actually challenge that it's not i think that if the city was to focus more on quality of life and placemaking and really allowing people to come here and have the agency that we are selling then people will come here and create what they're looking for But right now, it's really hard for people to come and to feel fulfilled enough to stay and want to invest in this place when they don't feel that there's anything that is just like keeping them here. This is a tribe before you buy city for sure. Most people have never been to Tulsa because they haven't been from around the country. They haven't been here. And so when you say Tulsa, they say, huh? Or what or why or but when they come here, they love it. Oh, this is nice. It's a nice area. There's the arts district and there's the BOK gathering place. People come here and they fall in love with. So it definitely is a tribe before you buy a city. And so that's the brilliance of Tulsa Remote. And shout out to uh, Ben Stewart and and, and his crew with uh, with Tulsa Remote, the, the 
that's the whole thing why there's 40,000 applicants for Tulsa Remote because people are lined up to say, okay, I'll try it. But and when they come here, they love it. We, I'm meeting Tulsa Remoters all the time who are very excited and very engaged with what is happening here in Tulsa. And let me also say this for our listeners. I know that we, this, there is quite a buzz in Tulsa right now that you're to, you can tell we're on a brink of something magical, something like monumental, which is why I'm here. And it's what attracted me to stay. You're like, Whoa, what is happening? Like it's electric. It's actually magical. And not only do you feel it happening and see it happen, but it like consumes you to be like, Hey, yeah. Like I could be a part of this. Not only can I be on a part of this, I can be on the forefront of this. And to be on the forefront of something that's this big, you think about starting investing when you were 20, (laughs) like what would that look like 10 years from now? And that's how I feel. Like, how can I get, at, how can I be at the beginning yeah. of what's happening in Tulsa? Yeah. Tulsa is Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that should be the headline. Yeah, Tulsa is Bitcoin. <laughs> if we had invested Bitcoin. in Bitcoin 10 years ago, we'd all be millionaires right now. So let's talk a little bit about what does Tulsa need? This is along the same vein. What does Tulsa need to do in order to kind of become Tulsa 2.0? Like, I know you talked about the personal scene. But what are some things in terms of, uh, let's look at Tulsa 2025, Tulsa 2030. Like, what are some things we need to see in these next five to 10 years to really be a player like a Denver, like a Austin, like a Charlotte? What, what are some things? I think that Tulsa has to get to a point where it's not afraid to take risk. I think right now we are very risk averse. We will try it if it makes sense. If someone else has done it before, just a little bit differently. Maybe maybe if someone else has done it and it succeeded a few times, then we'll bring it here and then we'll give it a trial run. We won't tell everyone and then we'll grow it a little bit. And by the time we actually socialize it, we've missed the wave. Yeah. And then we do things consecutively. Well, we tried it now. Okay, we'll try these other things three years from now. And then after that, we'll try something new. And so what I think is as a collective, we have to be more open to taking risk and letting people come here and try. I think Tulsa enjoys a sure thing, especially like the funders. And I think it gets to be because because it's been successful for so long. And a lot of people who are here are people who've been here forever. And we love this city and we love this place. And so if it's not broke, why change it? But if we want to attract more people, then we have to be willing to take a few risks. And one of the one of the quotes that I love so much is you don't have to do things right the first time. You mm-hmm. just have to be the first to do it right. right. I continue to try until something sticks because you will do that a lot sooner than trying to be very methodical on how you execute five years from, you know, and when you think about, do we want to throw up a lot of vegan restaurants and see if they work? Okay, let's do that. If it doesn't work, guess what? We have infrastructure to try it with the cannabis industry. Okay. If that doesn't work, okay. We can try like these tech spaces. Okay. If that doesn't work, but we're attracting a whole new community of folks every time we try something new. And guess what? If we keep trying something new, then people will be a part of that change. They'll be invested in that change. They'll say, okay, if it's not working, you know, Tulsa's going to do something different. So let me stick around and see what that's going to well, be. What's the next wave? Yeah, what's the yeah. next wave? Yeah. And 
that type of dynamic environment, I think, is what these big cities have. Yeah. They have these dynamic environments where, oh, I'll go on this side of the city because this is what they're focused on. I'll go on this side of the city because this is what they're focused on. Oh, I want to be with my people. I'm going to go to the south side. And right now, Tulsa has one identity. It has one profile. And people aren't really trained to withstand the dynamic environment right now. And one thing that I always say is you have to train people how to interact with you. And I think as a city, taking more risk, we have to train the community to say like, hey, we're just going to like try something new and see if it and see if it sticks. Like it's not going to change who we are as a city. And sometimes I feel like that is like the apprehension, like we have something special here and we don't want to lose it. So we can't move too fast. And it's no, like we are who we are. It's yeah. making that change from being static to dynamic. Yeah. 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 Like we're not going to change. We have our identity. Like we're, and we're not trying to be someone else. What we're trying to do is evolve with the time. What I said that I did you know before I moved to Tulsa is how do we lean into the pace of change? Yeah. Because what we don't want to happen is Tulsa gets left behind because we weren't willing to be flexible and adaptable. So one of the things you always taught me when you were at Atento was to always do a good job of advocating for yourself. And like, how can entrepreneurs in the city advocate for themselves? Like, how can we maybe as a city help entrepreneurs advocate for themselves? How can the TEDC help entrepreneurs advocate for themselves? Can you talk about that? This, that, that attitude of needing to av- advocate for yourself. I love advocacy. I love self-advocacy. Oh, I love it so much. The first thing that anyone who's advocating for themselves has to do is know that failure is going to happen. So like you cannot be afraid of it and rejection is natural and it is going to happen. So you can't be afraid that it's going to. So you have to lean in. As far as entrepreneurs go, how can you advocate for yourself? It is literally talking to anyone that you know and pitching your idea, getting their support. If they don't give you the support that you're looking for, ask them why you didn't get it. Like making a practice of getting feedback so that you will be better the next time is advocating for yourself because it's saying, hey, I know you didn't like it this time, but I still think that this idea is worthy. How can you help me continue to press it forward? So that's one thing. Another thing that I think that you can do to be a better advocate for yourself is I was actually telling someone about this earlier today. Right now, Tulsa has a profile where it has different pockets of players, but we actually have more people in town than like big governing players. I think, I believe (laughs) that if entrepreneurs spent more time meeting, learning, and getting to know people outside of the ecosystems that exist and creating collective power with these people who are not involved, then they can actually make their own rules to be able to really compete in this environment. I'm going to give an example about the cannabis industry because that's the example that I was talking about earlier today. A lot of the way that the city operates is our investors don't invest in vices or anything that's a part of those things. But we also have lots of dispensaries as an example. When you think about that, we have lots of people in town who are users and we have actually lots of people in town who have money who are not thinking about entrepreneurship at all. So when you think about like how do you change the 
landscape of a place, you have to have capital. That is the one thing that I have learned being back in Tulsa is that capital is important. So if you can't get capital from the traditional ways or the traditional, and when I say traditional, I mean like the most popular organizations in town, then how do you create spending power with other groups like collective spending power? And so I think like one way that people can best advocate for themselves is spending the time to create collective effort. And you want to get um, people involved who are not too vocal and not too obvious is because you have the ability to uh, utilize that capital, however, it's going to advance your business forward. So that means you can invest in creating your own, your own governing bodies, you can invest in your own staffing companies, you can invest in your own producers and manufacturers. Because right now, if you go through the systems that currently exist, there are no opportunities there. So how do you think outside of the box and create boxes for yourself within town? And I feel that there's a lot of opportunity for that here because there is a lot, there's a lot of people here who have a lot of money here, but everyone is so reserved because everything has been the same way the entire, everything has been the way that it is for so long. The other thing is here in Tulsa, a lot of what's happening, it's happening downtown. But you also have West Tulsa, you have South Tulsa, you have East Tulsa. And so you have all these other pockets of opportunity and people who are in those places who really don't even have visibility into what's happening downtown. And so I think a lot of people get funneled into Tulsa and feel like downtown is all that exists. It's crazy that you can be siloed. Like, yeah, so, silo. Yeah. So how do you best advocate for yourself? Go get some people who don't even know there's a game happening and go build your own team and then get in the game. If this was a three on three basketball tournament, stop trying to pick people who are already in the game. Go find some all stars who are not in the game and then bring them to play because your time will come. So, I think that's a really great way that entrepreneurs and individuals can advocate for themselves are finding their tribe that just hasn't been discovered yet yeah. and then getting themselves in the game. So my question is, and I want you to be as passionate as possible about this, is like, why Tulsa right now? Like, if I'm an entrepreneur, why Tulsa? You should come to Tulsa right now because, one, there is a lot of untapped potential. If you want to come to a place, own something, grow it, and create legacy for yourself, there's the space to do that in Tulsa. And the reason that there's a space to do that in Tulsa is historically Tulsa has been known as an oil and gas place. And as we all know, oil and gas is getting pushed to the side. And so we need people to come in and create new legacies here. The other reason why Tulsa is that there's this huge appetite to do things differently. And from that perspective, I'm specifically talking about culturally from a diversity standpoint. You know, we are in the centennial year of the Tulsa Race Massacre. And so if ever you wanted to be on the forefront of change, like Tulsa is ripe for it. There's an appetite for it. And there are a lot of places that are in the world or in the U.S. that say that they want it, but it's oversaturated. Tulsa is not oversaturated right now. And my mom always says, go to the places you shine. And in Tulsa, if you can tap in, 
you will shine. And the cool thing about Tulsa too is it's such a small community. Everyone knows everything that's going on. So whether you need resources, whether you need advertising, whether you need to promote yourself, whether you need to meet the next person who knows the next person. I think Aaron, you say it all the time. Everyone is two degrees freedom away from meeting someone who could change the trajectory of their business or their life, period. Absolutely. So when you think about Tulsa, if you are at the point where you're ready to make it happen for yourself, like no excuses whatsoever. If you come here, I said earlier in the interview, it takes people like five to six months at this current, it takes people five to six months in the current way that Tulsa operates to like really find their rhythm. But if you're willing to invest the time, I think that time's only going to get shorter as Tulsa really bands together to improve. If you're able to invest the time, you're willing to do it, you're willing to make the sacrifice, like it's going to return tenfold. There's customers here that are untapped. There's capital here that's untapped. There are thought leaders here who come back just to be a part of what is like really emerging. And I just think that, oh, let me not forget too. Another reason that you absolutely should come to Tulsa is if you have a specific skill set that you feel like is just not recognized because you're in a saturated market like myself, solving complex problems at very large institutions and corporations. Like Tulsa is looking to overhaul the infrastructure that's here. So it's, whoa, that's where I'm going. I said earlier, my issue being at my last company is I can only accelerate so fast. And as you said, Aaron, and man, you've been back a year and like all these things have changed. Like for me, like I'm not going anywhere As long as I'm growing, I'm not going anywhere. So if people have the appetite to just grow and develop and to have their hand in things and like see tangible change and impact in a city, like there is no other place like Tulsa because Tulsa has the resources here. They have the community here. They have the access here. They have the capital here. They have the space and the land here. You know, like everything that you need is here. The, the, The only challenge most people have in Tulsa is figuring out how to go from no to yes. That's it. Wow. That's excellent. I think that's all the questions we have for you. This Thanks is, for having me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a wonderful conversation uh, with Kiore Taylor. If you get a chance, look her up on LinkedIn. How can people find you, Kiore? So what I want the people to know is that no matter how much I get to be a part of what the city is doing on a career level and on a professional level. Like one of the things I'm most passionate about is advocating for people. And this year I actually have a goal of supporting and influencing a thousand women. So however I can do that, if you can get in contact with me and let me know how I could support something that you're doing to help me reach that goal, that would be really great. You can get in touch with me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn all at Kiori Taylor. That's C-I-O-R-E as an echo, last name Taylor. I also have books online that you all are available to purchase. Those are on amazon.com as well as kioretaylor.com. And then third 
And most importantly, I'm currently standing up a new business called Comb Cafe that I am really excited about that is geared toward bridging miscommunication gaps around culture. And so what that looks like is helping to go into businesses and helping to talk to communities of folks who want to know more about how to bridge communication gaps across races, how to do it across any type of culture that exists. And I am using hair as an analogy and a tool to be able to host some of these very difficult conversations. One of the things that I'm really passionate about is how do you get people to understand where you're coming from? And a lot of times in order to do that, you have to have a common frame of reference. And it's really hard to do that when you're talking across cultures. But if you think about hair, if I'm describing what's happening with my hair, a lot of people can use that language to figure out something a lot more complex about my life. And so I'm using that to help people have better conversations around race and gender and religion and any type of issues that you're seeing in companies. But I'm also using it as a tool to help people to be able to see themselves in a different light. Because one thing that you discover is if people don't feel comfortable wearing their natural and most authentic hair into the workplace, why would they ever bring their full selves into the workplace? How can they maximize their performance in the workplace? Like, how can they even help bring other people along in their journey if they don't know how to advocate for themselves. And one of the biggest ways that you can identify how someone shows up in their everyday life is how they think about their hair. So it's also a really good tool for that. So that's called Comb Cafe, which you can find on all social media platforms as Comb Cafe. I'm super excited about it. And there's one thing you did forget to mention, your radio show. Oh, oh. my radio <laughs> show is called The Stimulus with Kiori and Jonathan. I'm super excited. And it's all about being able to stimulate your mindset, your business and your legacy. It is Entrepreneurship Talk Radio, where we are bringing different guests in to be able to help you figure out how to get started, how to maintain and how to grow. And how do they tune in? You can tune in at KVLB 89.9 FM. You can go to KVLB 899.com or you can follow us on social media at the stimulus. Thank you guys. This has been wonderful. Yep. Thank, Thank you, Kiori. Thank you, Kiori. Thank you everyone for tuning in to the Be Attento podcast. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts can be found and make sure to subscribe and to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to follow Attento Capital across all social media platforms as we look forward to speaking with you all again on the next episode of Be Attento.